and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dice. Please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. And let me know how I am doing. But this week, we have Leah Haberman with me. And she is a social media person, a PR person, a great person to have. She's done, she's part of the CMO of Fit Body app, and she loves working with influencers. So influencer marketing, if you're all interested in that. She also teaches social media marketing, influencer marketing at UCLA Extension as part of the business and management digital marketing program and has taught social media marketing at Emerson College. But welcome to the show, Leah. Hey, thank you, Brett. Nice to be here. And we're happy you're here as well. But my first question as all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Coffee, 100%, all day, every day. Uh, I take it black. It's the first thing that I do in the morning is I make a big pot of coffee and I drink at least three cups before my day begins. Yes. Like a big cup, like five cups, like four cups. Like what is like a big cup to you? Like a full mug, like we're your average size mug. And I have to say thank you. Global Results Communications did send me a PR360 coffee cup. I see you've got yours. I've got mine next to me. So yeah, I would say about three of those in the morning. Gotcha. No worries. It's just some people have different sizes of what dip, how big a cup is. <laughs> yeah, it's not an espresso cup. It's a full mug of coffee. Nice. And then I gave a brief introduction to who you are. Can you give us a little bit more to our listeners about who you are and your expertise? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in media and marketing for a while. My day job is chief marketing officer at FitBody App. The business there was founded by an influencer turned entrepreneur, and I had hired her previously for campaigns. Now she has her own business and hired me to run her marketing this year. And then, as you mentioned, I do teach at UCLA. I teach a an influencer marketing class as part of their um, a digital marketing program. But then I also teach custom programs for UCLA and their partner schools. So, for example, like this weekend, we have a custom program, international program with, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Zhejiang University in China. So, yeah, uh, talking all things influencer marketing, also social media marketing, but primarily influencer marketing is really my specialty. All right. And we're going to be getting into like just influencer marketing in general. And it has changed over the years quite a bit before it was just something new. And then people were all about the really big influencers. Now it's kind of gone a little bit different direction. But how have you seen it change? Are we going to see even more change to be more platform specific and maybe even more niched? influencers than what it used to be? Definitely niched. It's always influencer marketing has always worked best, I think, in niches. I don't know that it'll be platform specific. I think platform loyalty is becoming increasingly rare because of algorithm shifts. For example, influencers are much better served working across platforms. So Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and kind of maintaining a presence on each one. So And again, speaking to those algorithm shifts, I think a big change that we're going to see is creators trying to own that relationship with their their top fans and followers and and loyal community uh, and moving them onto their websites and apps and newsletters so that they can decrease their reliance on the platforms. 
Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting place for the platforms themselves in the next couple of years um, as influencers. Like I said, a little bit less loyalty to any one specific platform. It used to be that you'd be like an Instagram influencer or a YouTube creator. And now people are much more multi-platform. And then I think also influencers are trying to own that relationship. So they're trying to move people off the platforms. So I think it's going to be the next few years should be really interesting to see what happens. So almost like less, it's all, it might be less social media, more towards maybe their own type of like website or whatever they're going to do as influencers are going to try to do so they can. Absolutely. So basically less reliance on social media companies. Exactly. For example, the person that I work with at FitBody App, she is an influencer, but she also owns her own business. She has an app. She has a fantastic uh, community. Her newsletters perform really well. So that's all audience that she owns in addition to the influence that she has on Instagram and YouTube. Gotcha. So do you think it's going to be harder for PRP pros to find these people? Or those influencers are still going to be on all the social media. They just don't use them as much or rely on them as much as before. I don't know that they're going to be hard to find. I think that the way that we look at who is an influencer, what qualifies someone as an influencer or a creator is going to be evolving. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of more of these influencers slash entrepreneur type people who have their own businesses and may themselves be hiring PR firms for their companies and their businesses and brands. But I think that there's also going to be an opportunity to find influencers in perhaps unusual places when you're talking about nano or micro influencers, which is typically people with smaller audiences, but very dedicated audiences in a specific niche. I think looking beyond just kind of your typical like fashion or beauty influencer, for example, and finding people who are maybe more experts, for example, a makeup artist versus someone who's just a beauty influencer. So having a lot more kind of skills, credentials, expertise to back up the influence that they have online. So are we are we basically seeing more, more I guess you could say a better, a greater diversification of influencers or more that you're going to own yeah. like a pocket of industry? A hundred percent. We are seeing a lot more diversification. We're seeing diversification in demographics. We are seeing uh, diversification in diversity, but then also, like I said, in the concept of who we consider an influencer. And it's people who maybe traditionally wouldn't have been in the spotlight, for example, but now are going to have an opportunity to shine. I would say even employees. I think that's going to be a big thing. And I know we're going to talk about trends for, for next year or the future of influencer marketing, but I think, spoiler alert, I think you're very, look at your own employees, uh, especially in this day and age when you're hiring somebody, especially if you're hiring somebody from like Gen Z, uh, chances are they may already have a community or an audience, maybe on TikTok or maybe on another, it could be Discord, Twitch, but you know, really looking internally and see who you're hiring and looking at that as an asset versus looking at that as previously, sometimes people have considered it a little bit of a liability. But I think it's really, if you can find a constructive, productive way to work with your employees, they can be great ambassadors. Gotcha. So we actually might be seeing more employee influencers within the own company if you target it right, is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. And I mean, even going on to what social media is all about, has there, what is the shift going on? Because it seems like there's a lot of turmoil between Facebook and now Jack Dorsey supposedly stepping down from 
Twitter. I mean, what are, what are we seeing within social media? Because, I mean, people love to hate it, I guess is the best way of saying it. And we're seeing negative effects from Instagram with body images from, I guess, girls as well. So what are we seeing with all this stuff? Yeah, um, there is, as you said, there is a lot of negativity and um, there are absolutely valid concerns around issues of body image and privacy issues. But really, social media is a tool. And I think that that's important to just remember that it's a tool to connect and communicate with people. A lot of times, not always, but your community is what you make it. So you want to make sure that what you're putting out there and and you're really purposeful and strategic about what you're putting out there and the community that you're building. I think that it actually helps that there's going to be less reliance on just one platform and we're all going to be looking multi-platform. I think it makes the platforms work harder. I have said since 2018 that TikTok is the best thing that ever happened to YouTube and Instagram. It made them work a lot harder. It made them value their creators. I think previously, up until about 2016, 2017, we were in a little bit of a rut in terms of, okay, these are the main platforms. This is the type of influencer that we expect. This is the type of marketing or PR that we do. Um, And we had really kind of hit a lull where I think it was just same old, same old, everyday status quo. TikTok came along and shook that up because I think at that point, Facebook is still the biggest global social media platform, but it really had no competitors. And it wasn't until TikTok came along and made them kind of sit up and pay attention and realize, oh, we could lose audience and revenue uh, to this upstart, essentially, which, you know, now is really moving. I mean, it's they're already at like, what, 1 billion? I think TikTok just hit 1 billion monthly active users. So they're hardly an upstart. I mean, they've definitely scaled. But I think in the just looking at like the length of time that they've been around, they are considered a little bit of an upstart. But I think it's been great. I think it's made Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and probably other platforms too, really took a look look at like their products, their features, the way that they interact with creators, looking at the tools that they give creators or influencers and trying to replicate some of the things that TikTok is doing, and then also kind of carve out some things that I'm sure live stream video shopping may have been on the roadmap already for Facebook, for example. But I think the fact that TikTok is trying to do it, Walmart's doing it, uh, Amazon's doing it, just having like the competition, it's healthy competition. And I think it's just, it's making all of the platforms better and work harder, work harder for their regular u- tools that they offer the regular users, but then also what they offer influencers or creators. So yeah, I, I think that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I, I think that while we have seen a lot of negative side effects to social media platforms. I also think that we're going into a really interesting time where everybody is really trying to up their game and they want to be the platform that influencers or creators go to. And so I think that that is going to make them work harder to try and please, like I said, the users and influencers, marketers, PR firms. And so I think we're all going to benefit from that. Gotcha. Well, I mean, for Instagram, at least, I know some photographers aren't too happy that they've kind of left them in the dust, I guess is the best way of saying it, because they're all focused on video. So do you see some influencers kind of taking a back seat? Like I said, photographers, then like video instead, do you see that actually happening? Because Instagram started out as a video or photo sharing 
social media. It did. And I think there's my personal preference and then there's where I see the industry going. So I love photos. I love photography. I love beautiful photos. I have friends and family members who are photographers. Would I love to see more photos on Instagram? I personally would. However, I think the industry is definitely moving towards video. And in some ways, photographers can absolutely take advantage of that and and try and I wouldn't say pivot completely to to video, but maybe try presenting their photography in a slightly different way. Video, you're able to monetize video better than you are able to monetize photographs. So I understand from the platform perspective, they it's not necessary. We're not all clamoring for video. Like that idea is a little bit ridiculous that like there's a demand for video. It's really they can put ads against video. The platforms want to make money. Their businesses in their own right, they want to make money. So they're gonna shift everything over towards video. I do like some of the video that comes out. I think TikTok, it's really fun. I love watching videos on TikTok. But yeah, it is, I I absolutely, I concur with you that like for photographers, it is a little bit of a struggle. What we are seeing, I think that you can still put photography on Instagram. Like Instagram hasn't overnight completely, the users haven't completely shifted over to video. I think Instagram's priorities are video. That doesn't necessarily reflect how the users are using the platform. So I think you can still put photos up there, but you could take advantage of video, whether it's in stories and doing some behind the scenes video, whether it's, you know, doing reels where you're essentially doing like a compilation or mashup of some of, you know, some sort of like thematic work or something like that. I think that there's ways to kind of straddle that to do both a little photo and a little video. But yes, unfortunately, I think the days of us going back to being it, it being a purely photography focus site, that's gone. Like that ship has sailed already. So it's either adapt um, or drop off. And I don't recommend dropping off. I I just, um, we all have frustrations, things, features get changed, stuff happens, but that's, that's progress. And, and, you know, we're always constantly evolving and changing. And so I think you just really have to like grumble if you need to, but embrace change and and keep going, keep rolling with the punches. Gotcha. And then moving to drop and drop out audio, that's kind of taken a a limelight, I guess you could say, because of Clubhouse starting it and then Facebook wants to do it. Twitter has it. Discord did have it, but then took it away and now LinkedIn's trying to get into it. Do you see the I guess the future of content for social media, more video and more audio like drop and drop out audio instead of just pictures? Do you see those two kind of playing within the same realm of popularity? Audio is interesting. I think audio, especially during the pandemic, we were all of a sudden, everybody was at home. We were doing Zooms in the place of previously had been emails or conference calls. All of a sudden we were expected to be on video every single day. And I think there was, we all burnt out of Zoom conference calls uh, or, you know, any kind of conference call, any video meetings. So I think the clubhouse was in the right place at the right time. Um, and there is something, there is something, you know, about audio that's great. I mean, we, we talk, that's what we do. It's like kind of like a, a fundamental human behavior is to like communicate with each other through conversation. However, I do think that there is something very powerful in either images or video when you're able to see somebody's face, you're able to see reactions. So. 
I don't think audio is ever going to replace photo and video, but I'm glad that it's an option. I've been in, I was on Clubhouse. Now I probably spend a little bit more time on Twitter spaces. And I think as a product, um, it's really great. I've heard a lot of really good conversations that I really enjoy and that I wouldn't necessarily have tuned in if I had thought like, oh, this is a live video conference. I kind of like audio and that you can listen to it maybe while you're multitasking and doing other things. I've listened to Twitter spaces while I'm working out. So uh, I do very much like audio. I just don't think that it's ever going to take over photo and video. Yeah, I I don't think I was ever saying that. I'm I'm seeing more of like a sharing between both of them. Maybe someone just wants to listen to audio. Maybe someone wants to watch the video and audio at the same time. I'm kind of seeing that dichotomy. Do you think that's going to happen where it's going to be more of a symbiotic relationship? I guess the best way of saying it. Yeah, um, that is a good point. Like, I think the personalization, that has always been something that people, you want to give people content in the way that they want to consume it and on the platform they want to consume it. So I think the more you can offer that option that maybe there's a photo outtake, there's, you can listen to the audio only version, you could watch the video version. Yeah, I definitely think people, everybody has different content consumption habits or different ways they want to interact with other people. And I think the ability uh, to kind of uh, shift or flow between those is is really great. And then even going on with that, because since drop and drop audio is still technically new to a lot of content creators and everybody else, I kind of see like podcasting being your evergreen thing. And then basically the drop and drop audio audio part being akin to like Twitch, which is live. So you might, we might actually start to see some people actually do schedules. Like this is what I'm going to be doing Twitter spaces, this type of thing from this to this. Do you see that actually happening? Or are we still too early? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to schedule any kind of that live audio. Because otherwise it's just like a one-off. It's a novelty. I think you're going to want to create in the same way with podcasts. You know, you have a schedule and people come to expect that like every whatever date is, Tuesday, Friday, you're dropping a new podcast and they really look forward to that and kind of the the serialization of content in the same way that podcasts have been serialized. Um, I think that people are absolutely going to love that. You know, if I come, I know every Monday night, there's a there's a tech journalist, uh, Josh Constein, I think his name is, and he does like on Clubhouse. He did uh, like every Monday night, he would do a chat with or you know a, a discussion, a room with different, uh, whether it was like tech people, other journalists, influencers, uh, VCs, um, and so you really knew and you kind of like started to look forward to like, oh, I wonder who's going to be there tonight, what they're going to be talking about. So absolutely, gotcha. So we're basically seeing basically the Twitch version of. Audio, in a way, live. Yeah. Gotcha. And do you see, as we talk about complex strategy and everything, do you see that happening because of more social medias popping up and they're becoming their own little niche in of themselves? Do you see that that PR pros have to basically find those niches within the social medias as well and then just try to do a more complex strategy? Within reason, obviously, you're only one person if you're a small team. Oh, yes. The struggles of the small team. So, sorry, are you talking about when uh, PR pros are looking for an influencer to hire, you're saying? Is that is that what you're asking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't envy, I've been in that position and I don't envy the PR pro that needs to find somebody because I do think that we're influencers or creators are kind of 
in their own little silos and you almost have to be an expert in, well, I'm sure as like just in your general daily job, you have to be an expert in like many different things. It's the same thing in finding influencers or creators. The more kind of niched down we get, the more these micro communities happen, the more you have these like little fandoms on different platforms. And we have been talking about Twitch, for example. So it's like, if you are not familiar with Twitch or if you're not familiar with Discord, I, I've got to be totally honest. I myself um, have a harder time navigating Discord than any other platform. It's just not something that I had used previously. I started using Discord maybe a year ago, but you know, I've been using Instagram and Twitter since they launched. So I think just like adapting to a new platform and then trying to find people on that platform within a specific vertical. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of work. It's uh it's a little bit of a struggle. But I think there's there's different steps that you can take. There was somebody that was like looking for she was working for a startup and they were looking for an influencer and I was like a couple of the different things in terms of like to be able to find influencers. It's like talk to the founder of the company he wants you to find influencers to represent his product. Like, who does he follow? Who does he think is the ideal influencer? Um, you know, if it's Gary Vee, yeah, you might have a hard time getting Gary Vee because maybe that's not the budget. But it's like, look at who Gary Vee talks to. Look at who follows him. Look at the people in his circle. Look at like, kind of like work your way out. So I think that's one of the things is certainly if you're working, whether it's for like a, a founder of a company um, or somebody's hired you to do something, start by looking at who they follow and the circles that they're in um, and what they appreciate and the influencers that they think do a good job. Because that can certainly tip you off to, oh, okay, this is the type of person they're looking for, rather than just starting from scratch and kind of like grasping at straws. I am a big fan of always doing, you know, a, a web search, whether it's Google or whatever, you know, search engine you're using of like best influencers in X. I started back in 2016. I was working for a company and had to start an influencer marketing program. And I was going, I was, it was nation, we were trying to roll out nationwide. And so a lot of it was, I was looking for influencers in Chicago and like, I'm not from Chicago. There was nobody in the company in Chicago. And so we were just doing an event in that city. And it was like, when you're actually starting blind and just trying to imagine like, okay, how am I going to find this specific influencer in Chicago? Sometimes looking at like local media or local listings to see who are they talking about? Who are they ranking? That can also be helpful in, in being able to find people, especially people in like either very niche fields or more, I don't want to say remote areas. Chicago is certainly not remote, but just areas in which you're not familiar with. That can certainly be that can certainly be helpful. Gotcha. And I I understand the whole Discord thing. I've done it for a while, but it can be very overwhelming to new people because you have to figure out that you have to join servers and everything else. So I get you on the Discord part. I get how it can be very hard. And the conversation just moves so quickly. It's like trying to catch up with a Slack conversation when you're just, you know, you've just come in and you're reading, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling back. So yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that one a little bit. And I mean, is there any best practices for getting the influencers? Like for me, when I was working for like a gaming peripheral company, I would try to watch some of the streams, try to figure out who they were before I even try to talk to them. Is there stuff like that? Or is there any other stuff that 
maybe small teams need to know that they haven't done something like this yet that would be good for them to understand how to get influencers. Yeah, absolutely. I do think having an idea of who you're reaching out to, um, it's, it's critical. Like you, you want to know what type of content do they post? What type of audience do they have? Um, do they do, depending on who you are and what you're requiring of that influencer, you know, you don't want to ask somebody to do a video when like they only do photos or vice versa. And you want to make sure that you've got the right niche. So I think it like, you always want to do a little bit of research. You look back at their profile, you look at what they've posted, you look at the message that they put out there. And then I'm actually uh, looking for a couple of influencers right now. I'm not in a rush, so I have the time. It kind of depends on your your time frame, but like I'm watching their stories every day just to make sure I've sort of identified some people that I'm interested in reaching out to, but I'm watching their stories for at least a week or two just to make sure like, are they, you know, is what they're posting consistent with who my perception of them is to be comfortable with these people? I think depending on the type of relationship you're looking to get into with these influencers as well, I very much believe in like striking up kind of long-term relationships for versus more transactional relationships. So sometimes if I follow an influencer, I'll start liking their content. I'll start commenting on their posts in the same way that everyone else is um, and trying to develop these kind of more long-term relationships. Uh, the person that I work for now, who, as I mentioned, is like an influencer turned entrepreneur, I followed her and was, I was actually part of like her Snapchat community. And then I followed her on Instagram. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, me following her and kind of supporting her when she was a, uh, you know, had less of an audience, um, all the way through to working together. And then after I had hired her for a couple of campaigns, staying in touch continuing to like and support whatever it was that she was doing and then her reaching back out and offering me a job a year ago. Um, so, you know, trying to develop more of these kind of like in-depth relationships. And I think that that's where it's not necessarily for PR pros, but in terms of people hiring influencers for campaigns, um, it's certainly more where it's going, where we're seeing, especially a lot of the more high profile, like celebrity influencers where they're being offered like equity in a company and being brought on as like a creative director, for example, versus just hiring somebody for one campaign, giving them a, a check and, you know, calling it a day. So I do think that it doesn't apply to every situation because sometimes you just need to run like a large campaign with a lot of influencers and it really is going to be transactional. And that's just the nature of like, depending on product or service you're selling, for example, or promoting. But my favorite would be to kind of like develop these relationships um, over time and certainly trying to engage and just showing that, you know, influencers, as much as they're brands, they're also people. And they, like anybody, like to feel like they're supported, that you're invested in their success. And, and you know, it, it comes down to good relationships. And are you able to build good relationships? And yeah, I mean, that's, it's all about just trying to figure out who they are in their community. It seems like is the first step at least before you try to reach out to them, because if you don't know what they're actually doing, they're going to be like, why should I even do business with you? If you can't even like understand what I'm doing. Yeah. 
I mean, if you think about it in the same way that I'm sure everybody gets vendors, for example, reaching out to them and saying, I saw your company and I think I could be a lot of help to you. And you get, you know, sometimes you get vendor letters that are like, either it's not what we do or it is what we do, but we do that ourselves. Why would I hire you to do that for me, for example? And so it's like, it's a form letter. And so when you see a form letter from somebody who's obviously spent no time looking at you, looking at your company, looking at what you do, you're much less likely to pay attention than somebody who says, hey, I really love what you're doing. I think we could collaborate on whatever the project is, but it makes sense. It makes sense for that influencer. It makes sense for their community. As long as it makes sense and kind of seems aligned with whatever it is that they're doing, you're going to have a much higher success rate than just blasting a hundred different influencers saying, hey, let's work together. I think this is, you could promote whatever for me. They get those offers every day. So, you know, the more you can personalize it, the more you can show that you've actually done your due diligence and you know what you're talking about, the greater degree of success I think you're going to have. And what do you think is the future of influencer marketing? Yes, this is a fun question because I think we are, like I, I said, you know, with TikTok and things are evolving, the platforms are changing. I do think we're at a really interesting time. I think I do have some predictions for next year, but of course, things change. And as the past two years has, ta- has taught us, you know, you can't count on anything. So things could change. But I would say a couple of the things that we're seeing right now. I mentioned it already, but redefining who gets to be an influencer or what our perception of an influencer is. In China, they call them key opinion leaders, KOLs. And I think that we are moving more towards that idea of an influencer as a KOL, key opinion leader, sort of thought leaders, experts, for example, versus an influencer just as an entertainer, which I think is like, originally, it was kind of more the idea that we had around influencers. So I think that our definition of who influencers are and also where we're going to find them. So we talked about a little bit about like employees as influencers or ambassadors. I think that that also is going to continue to be a trend. There are a lot of companies that harness the power. I'm thinking of like Salesforce does a really fantastic job at, I want to say like arming their, their employees with information and posts that they can just click to share on, whether it's like LinkedIn or Twitter, for example. So I think there's like, you know, companies that have already done a great job of harnessing the power of their employees. I think that moving forward, we'll see even greater examples of companies using employees as influencer ambassadors. But I do have to say, like, kind of with a caveat is that you do want to You do want to appreciate your employees. I also think you have to pay your employees if you have an employee ambassador program. We've certainly seen that where there are some companies that will hire people within the company or they give out bonuses. There's, There's little perks, for example, for being an influencer for the company. I think that you can't expect your employees to just automatically become an influencer for you just because they're working for you nine to five does not mean that you own their social channels. So I think there there is some kind of delicacy there, relationship building that you need to do in terms of how is your employee advocacy or ambassador program going to work? And what's the benefit for them? Like I said, like you're hiring them for a job nine to five, you're not necessarily hiring them to be an influencer for you. So if you do want them to be an influencer for you, and especially if they already have a community or an audience, you know, there has to be some benefit to them as well. 
I think, uh, let's see, what else are we going to see? Oh, I kind of mentioned it briefly, but like live stream shopping, which I'm seeing being called different names, shoppertainment, for example. I think that that is going to be a really big thing. I don't know if you've noticed, like you go to Amazon and I feel like you're, you know, you see those Amazon live streams, people selling, TikTok has been doing it, YouTube is testing it, Instagram is testing it, where it's essentially, it's the home shopping network or QVC, but on a platform or through a retailer, Nordstrom's or Amazon, for example. And I think that this is making billions of dollars, uh, for example, in China. And I think really in the the two ways, the, the concept of KOLs, which I mentioned, key opinion leaders in China, and then the live stream shopping, those are both really big things there. And I think that brands in the West and North America are noticing how much money is being made and looking at that and saying, okay, like this is obviously a very financially lucrative way for us to go. We already see, a, we have a model. We have a workable model in what we see is already being done and trying to replicate that. So I think we're talking about it now. I think by this time next year, you're just not going to be able to get away from, from it. I think, you know, shoppable video is going to be on every platform 24-7. Yeah, I can kind of see that. I mean, I think I've seen more of the Amazon live stream shopping more this year than any previous year too. Yeah. And I think that's only going to increase as they kind of like figure out the format, figure out who, who sells, because I think an influencer that can sell during a live stream is a different influencer, for example, than somebody who makes like short form video or who needs more of that kind of like produced video. So I think there's still, you know, there are still elements of it that need to be worked out before, it really takes off, but I think that we are getting there. And I think that they're really ramping up to make sure that like in 2022, it's something that every platform wants to be the destination that you choose for your live stream shopping. So I think we're going to see a lot more competition and a lot more live stream shopping on all the platforms next year. Right. And a fun question for you. If you could start over and be an influencer, where would you want to influence? So... I like to do taste tests just on my own time. Like I like to buy a product and I'll buy like three different brands or three different price points and try that, try it at home. It's just something like I do for fun. Uh, so there's a guy that I follow called Hungry in LA and he goes to different taco and burrito places. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I would essentially take Hungry in LA's method, but I would taste test tacos and breakfast burritos and 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 be a like a Mexican food connoisseur in LA and just tell you the best place to go best breakfast burritos to go to uh in LA that that would be my thing nice any final thoughts for the listeners i think there's like i said social media is a tool it's not it's not something that's out to get you and it is going to frustrate you but you know there's there's pros and cons to everything. Really look at it as a tool and try and use it as such. Roll with the punches. And then I think just in terms of influencer marketing, because that's kind of like my area of expertise. Um, if you're in health and wellness, beauty, fashion, home improvement, food, those are places that really work. Uh, gaming, electronics, those are places that work for influencers. If you're in a different type of industry, influencer marketing doesn't always work for every single industry. So just... I think be realistic about what you're able to do. It's not a magic wand. You can't hire an influencer and instantly drive 
media coverage or instantly drive sales. So I think that you just need to be realistic about what it is that you're trying to achieve and what, who and what they're going to be able to help you do. That would be my advice. All right. Thank you, Leah, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge on social media marketing and influencer marketing. Great. Thanks a lot, Brett. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. And let us know how we're doing. Enjoy us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys. Stay safe. Get to understanding influencers and finding out what works for you. See you next week. Later.